Hello and welcome to the Bang to Rights podcast. My name is Peter Murray. I'm a lecturer in multimedia journalism here at Manchester Metropolitan University. And we're in the uh, the journalism staff room this afternoon. We couldn't get into the studio for reasons that I won't go into. Mm. Um, so if there's any interruptions or you hear any chit-chat in the background, that's other members <laughs> of the journalism team. But I'm joined today, as usual, by Dave Porter. Hi, Dave. Hi, Pete. And by Jeremy Craddock. Hello, Jez. Hi, Pete. So we're going to concentrate this week on a decision about the highly unusual and highly controversial injunction on publishing pretty much anything relating to the identity of the James Bulger killers and in particular the man formerly known as John Venables the father and the uncle of the Merseyside toddler who was just two when he was murdered in 1993 have lost their appeal to have that injunction lifted and in a moment we'll have a look at whether this is likely to be the last word on the issue but before we come to that Dave and Jez anything in the news this week uh, that you've been looking at? Jez? Yeah, um, not so much directly in the news this week, but it's something that's ongoing. Um, and it, it, I was really reading about it because of what we've been teaching this week. And that's the the uh, idea of cameras being introduced or allowed mm. into court cases and trials. Uh, I think there was something in the news a couple of weeks ago about suggestions that the High Court uh, hearing into the challenge against the third runway at uh, Heathrow might be live streamed. That was kind of the latest one I could find. But I was particularly interested in reading uh, Geoffrey Cox, the Attorney General's views on this. And he's sort of saying that it's kind of going to be an inevitability that we have them. And he he feels that it's really, um, you know, in the the idea of making justice truly transparent, he thinks it's a good thing. Um, And he kind of cited examples like um, inquiries into the Grenfell Tower, yeah. uh, disaster that we, it would enhance that. But also, had had cameras been at the the uh, contempt of court trial of uh, Tommy Robinson, he feels that that would have led to more open justice and perhaps would have dispelled some of the conspiracy theories surrounding Tommy Robinson and how he, he was made into a kind of a free speech martyr. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, so we've been looking at that today in uh, Level 5. It'll be good for us, actually, if it does happen, because yes. we'll be able to run some of the some of the judgments exactly. and some of the material from, from the courtrooms. Because exactly. we we do get some stuff already, don't we, from the Supreme Court. Yes. We see some of their judgments, yes. and we, we have seen some some uh, rulings and judgments from, from the High Court. But it's yes. interesting that this kind of trickle-down yeah. effect. Um, and I think the fear has always been, hasn't it, before this, that there's the potential for it to become a media circus. And, and you think of like the, the O.J. Simpson trial in, yeah. in America. I mean, but, but what I think, I, I mean, I haven't seen uh, what uh, Jeffrey Cox had to say, but in the past what we've got is this arrangement where there's a, a broadcasting pool and they have a, yes. a lockdown camera yeah. that only will only see the judge. It won't yes. see the defendant. It won't see the lawyers yeah. and witnesses. And, and that would kind of address those concerns mm-hmm. about, you know, protecting sensitive and vulnerable witnesses, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But I think it's a, it's a really interesting subject. I know the government's proposed ideas and, and methods to, to tackle it. Yeah, they, they have been toying with it a little bit. And it, there was a small reference to it in Francis Cairncross's report a couple yes, of weeks ago. The, yeah. the Cairncross Review did address that, did have a look at that issue mm-hmm. and, and said that, you know, maybe this is something that the government's going to have a look at. So it's interesting that Geoffrey Cox... Are, well, interesting that he's talking about something else apart from Brexit and yes. and so on, because he's yeah. busy with that at the moment. But it's yeah. good to see that there's other, other items on his agenda. Yes, exactly, yeah. So, um, yeah, so one for the, the students this week and an interesting one, I, I hope, well yeah yeah absolutely so i mean it's great for the students as well because it means that they will literally be able to see what's going on and exactly. hear some of the decisions yes. and the discussions yes yeah. 
Yeah, so um, Dave, what about you? What, what's been on your mind um, this week? I saw an interesting uh, piece on inform.org, which is a great website yeah. if students want to look at it. And it was about the uh, meaning of uh, words and defamation and whether really you know, uh, a media organisation can use truth, or when it can use truth and when it can use honest opinion. Mm -hmm. And it was looking at the case recently, Morgan versus Associated Newspapers, um, about the fat cat case and the, the developer, and really whether the defence of truth, whether something can be said to be true, uh, an allegation is true, or whether you can use the defence of honest opinion. Um, in that case, the, the fat cat case, the developer case, that fell through because um, they were claiming it was honest opinion, was in fact, that, you know, it came around to say, well, you can't use that defence, you've either got to prove it's true or untrue. And I think it's really interesting for students, they sometimes find it quite difficult to um, grasp the idea of honest opinion, um, why can't it be used for facts? And ultimately, that, that can never be the case. But it, it's good to see it's being used in court, so to speak, yeah. um, that, and sometimes there's quite a fine balance between what we're alleging is true. Well, actually, we're not alleging that. It's simply based on these facts. It's, it needs it's to be based on sort of provable facts, yeah. doesn't it? So I think yeah. it's well worth looking at. Uh, it was on Inform this week. And uh, just really highlights, uh, you know, the, the tricky nature of which defence you call upon and which defence you're allowed to call upon by a judge in, in a defamation case. Yeah, it's good to have those for, for illustration. So I'll, I'll put the link to that yes. in, in the show notes Great. and people can have a look at that um, if they want. I've been looking at a debate last Friday, actually, in the House of Lords over a proposal from the former Deputy Assistant Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, Lord Brian Paddock. Kind of relates to, to some extent to what Jez was saying about... Mm. Um, identifying people and so on uh, but th his proposal would make it illegal for news organizations to publish the names of people who've been arrested or questioned but not charged with an offense of course it's an issue that we looked at in one of the first editions of bang to rights last year in the wake of the cliff richard case against south yorkshire police and the bbc and then just after christmas You'll remember when the names were released of the Surrey couple questioned over the Gatwick Airport drones. And though they were some of the cases that Lord Paddock referred to when he introduced the bill. My Lords, the current situation can be summed up by the words of Sir Richard Enriquez, former Justice of the High Court in England and Wales, in his independent review of the Metropolitan Police's handling of non-recent sexual offence investigations against persons of prominence. And I quote... I consider it most unlikely that a government will protect the anonymity of suspects pre-charge. To do so would enrage the popular press whose circulation would suffer. Present arrangements, however, have caused the most dreadful unhappiness and distress to numerous, numerous suspects, their families, friends and supporters. Those consequences were avoidable by protecting anonymity. Nobody is safe from false and damaging exposure under present arrangements. A reputation built on a lifetime of public service or entertainment or popular entertainment can be extinguished in an instant. I sincerely believe that statutory protection pre-charge is essential in a fair system." Unquote. My Lords, not that statutory protection pre-charge is unnecessary, but that the government is unlikely to protect the anonymity of suspects pre-charge because it would enrage the popular press. Now is the chance for the government to prove Sir Richard Enriquez wrong. 
I beg to move. Lord Brian Paddock. Now, during a nearly hour-long debate, peers mentioned various examples of cases where newspapers naming suspects had encouraged other victims or witnesses to come forward. And the Secretary of State at the Home Office, Baroness Susan Williams, said the government was sympathetic to Lord Paddock's bill, but she said updated guidelines issued by the College of Policing around contacting the media seemed to strike the right balance, as she put it, over open justice and people's right to privacy. To test whether or not these changes have had the desired effect, the previous Home Secretary asked Her Majesty's uh, Chief Inspector of Constabulary and Fire and Rescue Service to carry out a short, targeted review of police adherence to the guidance on media relations, looking in particular on uh, pre-charge anonymity. The Inspectorate is undertaking a scoping study this financial year to consider where inspection activity might be focused. I recognise, of course, that the guidance on the police re releasing suspects' names does not address the separate concern about the media publishing suspects' names, which the media may find out about from, of course, other sources. But the media has its own framework for guiding its behaviour. Baroness Williams of Trafford, and for those reasons, she said, the government wouldn't support Lord Paddock's bill, but we'll keep an eye out for any conclusions from that review, and we'll come back to it when they issue the report, which is probably be later on this year. Dave, Brian Paddock's bill, Anna Soubry's bill, also related to that. Yeah, what do we make of that? I think it's gaining momentum. Um, most, obviously, media are against this, although... It's interesting, actually, some commentators, I don't know, Mark Hanna from McNeys mm. um, seems to be very much in favour. And um, it's interesting, I think if you ask, ask most members of the public, they would see it as, a, as natural justice. Yeah. That's somebody who he stands accused. Because actually, you know, given the debate about whether, you know, which we seem to be having all the time about whether people who are charged should not be, uh, you know, for, for example, in rape cases, should not be named until the conclusion of the case. Um, I think, you know, if you took a straw poll of a public, then I think probably 10 out of 10 would say, do not name them. I think yeah. the point Brian is, Paddock did address that during his, his speech. Yes. I didn't play that clip, but he yeah. did talk about that and said, yeah, he, he, this is not what his bill's no. attempting to address. And the other point is that, you know, people talk about um, <clears throat> if you name a suspect, then other people may come forward. Then, of course, what you can have is a subclause in here which says that were the police feel the need to do, they can release a name. So yeah. you, you leave it in the hands of the police, not in the hands of the media. Uh, I, I'm probably in favour of, you know, I think it's, it should get a good hearing. Um, maybe, maybe the politicians are scared of the media. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, it, it was interesting listening to the <coughs> debate. It did. It, it was pretty lengthy. I mean, um, the Paddock proposal is that the, that decision would not be made by the police, but it would be made by a Crown Court judge, mm. that it would have to take it all the way up and that the, the blanket ban would need, essentially like, like a judge would do if they were lifting reporting restrictions, like it would be of that order of, yeah. of that legal kind of significance. So, um, and I think that's, I, I guess, uh, Baroness Williams didn't explicitly say this, but I think that's one of her concerns or one of the government's concerns, that it just becomes a really unwieldy process. Mm. And, and, and she did talk about fast-moving investigation and how the police have to respond to that, and they shouldn't be diverted to taking a case to, to a Crown Court judge. No, I don't think so. I think it should be something that a uh, chief constable would be able to deal with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. So moving on from that, more, more now on our main story for this week, the attempt by the father and uncle of James Bulger to get the 18-year-old injunction lifted on identifying one of the two schoolboys who abducted and murdered the Merseyside toddler in Bootle in 1993. 
Now, John Venables and the other man, Robert Thompson, were just 10 years old at the time. They're now well into their 30s. They have new names and their identities have been protected by a comprehensive injunction granted in 2001 when they were released from detention, which prohibits the publication of any information images, audio recordings or descriptions which could lead to them being identified. It even covers what the order describes as their past, present or future whereabouts. Now, Lord Justice McFarlane, who's the president of the Family Division of the High Court, ruled on Monday that the injunction should remain in place. He said the legal challenge fell well short of tipping the balance in favour of revealing who the man formerly known as John Venables is, because, as Sir Andrew put it, this would not be possible without compromising his right to be protected from serious violence. And it's oh. kind of vigilante violence, I think, that <coughs> is sort of at the heart of this, Dave, isn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, I, was, I just read the uh, full judgment this morning, and it, it's really interesting reading, actually. And I've just pulled one line out, on. which is, quote, the purpose of the injunction is to protect JV, John Venables, from being put to death. And that, that pretty much lays it in stark terms. Um, that they talk about, you know, Article 2 and 3, yeah. right to life, and the fact that uh, this case is seriously, you know, it's, it's, it could have grave and fateful consequences. They, they talk about, you know, the fact that it's, uh, what was it, a truly exceptional, the, the, the case was a truly exceptional nature in terms of risk. Uh, I mean, what I, you know, you talk about vigilantism, I didn't realise until I'd read this, but for example, there's a Facebook page out there which uh, 2,000 people have, have liked or have signed up to, um, basically saying if we find them there will be, you know, justice uh, meted out. Yeah. Uh, and, and also an example uh, of a person who was mistakenly identified, yeah, and yeah. I think referred to as Mr XX, who uh, him and his family had to have panic buttons put into their home and then had to flee and leave their house and have police protection. So it does show the level of public... Um, outcry, you know, the fact that this is not going to go away anytime soon. Um, it, the judgment did not surprise me. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, that Ralph and Jimmy Bulger <laughs> talked about was the, was the fact of those social media yes. accounts, which are working, you know, the people behind them seem to be Common working knowledge. quite hard to identify who yes. these folk are. Um, and then the, the other thing is that, for example, the um, so the Venables, we know, has been in, in prison twice for, for possession of child mm. porn. Mm. And there is there have been reports that he's been he's been beaten up in prison, that he's been stabbed yes. in prison. So, and, and one of the other issues that, that Lord Justice McFarlane addressed was the fact that people in those detention centres may well know who he is. And so, there's um, all we know at the moment is that he has been detained somewhere in Cheshire. Yeah. Is is the only yes. location that we've ever found. Well, they made an interesting point years about social media, for example. You know, because the one of the arguments was that he's common knowledge. Anybody could go onto the internet, allegedly, and look up, you know, this uh, identification. Mm. Um, there was a comparison with the, um, the JPS uh, case where uh, there was a threesome couple, and that 25% um, of people had found out through social media who the identity were. Uh, and as you said, Drew McFarlane made a very good point in saying, well, actually, that means 75% don't. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so on that very, you know, rationale itself, we should not give in to the fact that just because an identity has been released apparently on social media, that is not an argument for the law caving in. Uh, and especially where the, the stakes are so high in this case. Yeah. Uh, and it's hard to see how that would change in the future. Yeah. 
The stakes are pretty high, and we can judge that partly by the rarity of, of cases oh. like this. So we yeah. were talking to Jez uh, before we came on the air about the, the five cases, five examples of, of injunctions like this that, yeah, that I know of. Rare. So there's <coughs> the, the the girlfriend of the Soham murderer. Um, there's the uh, these two. Um, Mary Black and yeah. her daughter, and that's yeah. that's yeah. it, really. I think actually, as well, to be fair, not to be fair, but just think of the other side of the coin. You know, Ralph Borgia talks the the, 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 the Ralph Borgia's case, uh, uh, and, and his, I think his uncle James talks about the fact that actually, you know, there is huge public interest because of the continuing apparent, you know, um, crimes being committed in terms yeah. of the storing of child uh, pornography and the fact that, although the judge did say there doesn't seem to be. Um, an element of, of grooming, he said that, quote, there is a compulsive interest in serious serial crime against small children. Uh, that was in the former judgment by Judge Edis. So you can see why, obviously, that's a matter of huge public interest. Um, the idea that, you know, here's somebody who could potentially turn that, you know, compulsive interest in, in looking at uh, child pornography into something more concrete. And so that's part of their case, isn't and that's it? Part that of it's a matter case. of a kind of identifying yeah, this individual within the community where he lives. Um, and you can understand that. It's you a know, public you safety issue. Yes, yeah, but they also talked about the real risk of misidentification. And uh, as we've already discussed, you know, this, this poor family who've had to move out of there. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think at one stage she was in the pub and somebody said, look, you need to leave now, you're going to get beaten up. You know, these are real, the threat of vigilantism. Now, I, th I think I said at the outset, this is a very, very high bar that Lord Justice McFarlane has set mm. for lifting this injunction. Do, do you think this is kind of the last word on it now? I think so. I think it might be another attempt, but really, given this, given this judgment, and given what's been said before, you know, by the original injunction and, and, and Judge Edis, uh, uh, I think I can't see any further attempts to to bring this injunction to lift it i'd be very surprised but who knows <laughs> who knows you know, well, it's very interesting you can never say never yeah well if you've got any thoughts on that any comments on that please do tweet uh, them to us uh, at rights bang on twitter um that's just about it for for bang to rights for this week but before we go i wanted to have a quick look at a question that we've talked about lots on the podcast that's the cambridge Facebook and Cambridge Analytica Facebook scandal. We're looking at it in detail this week with the first years and it came up just yesterday during Prime Minister's question time. The Edinburgh North and Leith MP Deirdre Brock has been investigating alleged connections between Cambridge Analytica and government officials for more than a year. And yesterday she narrowed down her latest question to just one individual, the Cambridge Analytica boss Alexander Nix. <laughs> Minister has been refusing to answer for a year now my questions about the visit of Aggregate IQ to Downing Street. So can I ask her about the visit of Alexander Nix of Cambridge Analytica to Downing Street in December of 2016? It was reported in the Spectator's Coffeehouse blog, but not in the transparency data. So can I ask the Prime Minister, who did Alexander Nix meet in Downing Street? What was the purpose of the meeting? And most importantly, why was it not reported in the transparency data? Wow. 
Lady, uh, she's raised a specific issue with me, which I will look into, but she says that we didn't respond on the question of aggregate I- IQ. My honourable friend, the Minister for the Constitution, has written to the honourable lady about this and responded to her query. And Dave, as Theresa May was saying all of that, the Commons cameras turned to Deirdre Brock, shake, shaking her head and saying, uh. no, she didn't, no, she didn't. So I guess that's another issue we'll need to keep an eye out on in the coming weeks. Watch this space, not least because I think next week we might have a look at Mark Zuckerberg's statement today that Facebook is going to turn private, that they're going to concentrate not so much on kind of open social uh-huh. stuff, they're going to be using more encrypted private messaging. And so I'm going to ask around for someone who might look at the impact of that on yes, journalism, on journalism. so many yes, platforms yes. now use Facebook as a way of distributing That's material. Right. It's very interesting, and if it goes private out of our reach, uh, that could have you know serious consequences for who we are and what we do. Yeah. So look out for that next week on Bang to Rights. Um, remember, you can subscribe to Bang to Rights on Apple Podcasts. And as usual, you'll also find us on Stitcher or you can search for Bang to Rights on the MMU Northern Quota SoundCloud feed. That's all one word, MMU Northern Quota. But briefly, Dave, what have Northern Quota been covering this week? What are the big stories for them? Big stories this week. We've done, uh, our editor, Matt, has done a good piece about knife crime in Manchester. So yeah. very timely. Have a look at that. And uh, we'll be covering uh, next week's uh, Planet change strikes as well, so look out for that. Yeah, great. Okay, well, we have been Bang to Rights. Um, do tweet at us uh, at Rights Bang. Follow us for updates about the podcast and cases or stories we're following in the courts and in the news. Do let us know if there are topics or issues from the lectures or from your reading which you want us to cover in future editions. But in the meantime, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. <laughs>